So if you weren't here last week when we kicked off the book of Luke, uh, our goal is to read through the book of Luke and watch what God is doing as Christ comes to earth and has his ministry here on earth. We are going to be targeting getting to from his birth to his death and resurrection by Easter. It's a little later this year. So I encourage you to read through this at your own pace, but you've got plenty of time to cover all of the book of Luke. Before we finish Christmas, you'll have covered chapter 2, and you should be following right along in the life of Christ. So this morning, as we do this, I know it's a little hard to relate, perhaps, to characters who are living in a very different world than we're living in. No technology, no TV, no internet, limited travel. By the way, when it comes to our snow policy, okay, uh, I pastored a, a church with a very complicated ministry in North Carolina. Uh, we tried our best to have a, at least one service, combining all the services, at least one, even if we had it for family. We only called it off in case of ice. Uh, I noticed yesterday they called it off because they were expecting a foot of snow. Wimps, you know, what about, you know, but they're, they're really getting a lot of snow there in North Carolina. But we will do our best to communicate with you, and most of you have access to our website. So there will always be, in case you're wondering, there will always be a notification there as early as we could to call off services. We don't want to complicate anything in your lives. But I'm glad you came this morning. You know, I know it was a little cold, and uh, I appreciate you coming on through the wet and getting here so we could study God's Word together. Now, back to these guys with no technology, no travel, and uh, as we see them, we, we're trying to say, okay, so what could that mean to our life? As we didn't get to encounter Jesus the way they did face-to-face, -face, we didn't get a chance to observe His miracles, so how do we in our lives find a way to apply what happened to them to us. So in reading and preparing for this, I kept discovering that people were referring to a professor called Daryl Bock, B-O-C-K. Apparently, he has written the key commentary on the book of Luke that so many people refer to. And it's in multiple volumes. Uh, thankfully, he came back around and wrote a a condensed volume <laughs> that's only about this big on the book of Luke. And I found it, and I was reading through it on, on Kindle. And I noticed that he said, how can we approach these characters from so long ago and determine how to apply it to our lives? He gave some guidelines, and I'm just acknowledging him this morning so that you won't think I copied this and didn't tell you, all right? He gave some guidelines. I made them my own, but he was the source that I started with. And I'm going to suggest that maybe you turn to the back and you, because you've got some extra pages back here in the back of this journal, and that you consider writing down these three things that I'm going to put on the screen as how we approach application to these stories in the Bible that happened so long ago. And these three points really are the three points of my message this morning, and they are the guidelines that you can use as you follow through reading in the book of Luke. What do I see about 
the character of God? What do I see about how people responded to God? And what do I see about my heart? Those are good questions for us to ask as we go to the Scripture. We're not going to be able to apply everything the way they applied it because our day is so different. But we can see something about God's character, something about their response that teaches us, and something about our hearts, attitudes we might need to cultivate or change, actions we might need to stop doing or start doing, That's always a good approach to the Word of God, and it's a great approach when you're not dealing with straight-up teaching, though there will be some in Luke, but when you're observing a story and you're trying to see, so what does that mean to me? With that as our approach today in Luke chapter 1, would you pray with me? Father, we open your Word with great reverence. We take it for what it is, the Word of God. We believe that you have inspired it, protected it, and given it to us so that we might sit alone in our homes and we might gather with other believers and we might look at it and see what it teaches us about you and how we should respond to you. So we invite you now by your spirit to be our teacher. For those that do not know Christ personally, Perhaps this could be the day that they could see how much you loved them, why he came to earth to live and die for them, and be raised from the dead to come and live in them. And for those who entered this room already followers of Christ, may this be a day that your word encourages us and focuses us in our worship. So we invite you to be the teacher, and that's why we pray this very simple prayer. Lord God, speak to my heart. Would you pray that aloud with me? Lord God, speak to my heart. And Lord, as you speak, we'll know that it's you. So we listen for your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn to page six, all right? The very beginning Though you won't find a number up there, you'll find it on the next page, page 8, all right? The very beginning of the Gospel of Luke. And as it begins, you see the dedication to Theophilus. We talked about the lover of God last week and how Luke was approaching the writing. So today we come to the birth of John the Baptist foretold. Now, just a little note for you. The chapter heading was not inspired, all right? When the Spirit of God was moving on Dr. Luke to write this, he didn't say, now, the birth of John the Baptist foretold, all right? That was put in there by translators to help us see the big headings of what takes place. So let's just look at the big headings. This chapter is pretty long. The birth of John the Baptist foretold. You turn the page on page 8. It's still doing the same thing. Then you come to page 10, the birth of Jesus foretold. And then you have Mary following what the angel said to her, going to visit Elizabeth, her relative. And then that continues on as we talk about how Mary responded. Then on page 14, the birth of John the Baptist, not foretold, but when it happened. Then his father, Zacharias, how he prophesied what would happen through John the Baptist. Finally, you get over to page 18, and it's the birth of Jesus Christ. 
So you see those big headings as they talk about the big summary of what's being written here. But now, in case you didn't notice, Dr. Luke, fittingly, is talking about the birth of two babies. He's talking about the pregnancy and the birth of two babies. John the Baptist, that's why we're Baptists, because he was, no, that's not it, all right? John the Baptizer will talk about his ministry and how he baptized as a forerunner of Jesus. We'll get to that a little later here in Luke's gospel. John the Baptist, he is called, and then Jesus the Messiah. Two interlocking stories. Here in chapter 1, it goes back and forth between one, an angel announcement, and then an angel announcement, and then a response and a birth, and then in chapter 2, a response to the birth. Now, just so you'll see how Luke was writing this, I, I thought about a conversation that I had with Johnny, and he's not here to defend himself, okay? A conversation I had with Johnny about he and Carrie that they had discovered blue bloods. The TV show, Blue Bloods. How many of you have seen Blue Bloods? You know what I'm talking about? At least you've seen a little bit of it, all right? They, and I thought, what do you mean you've discovered it? My father-in-law watches reruns all day long, okay? I mean, it's right there, right there in the early channels, probably on your television. But he had discovered the reruns on Netflix, I believe. And he said that some nights when he and Carrie would put the children to bed, he was actually referring to Jonathan. I don't know. They'll probably just go to bed now with three. But when they put Jonathan to bed, that they would go to Netflix and they would watch a rerun of Blue Bloods. Now, perhaps you're familiar with the Reagan family in New York City. In case you're not, the dad, Frank Reagan, is the police commissioner. You don't have to remember all this, all right? I'm just trying to set the scene for you. He's the police commissioner. One of his sons, named Danny, is a detective, kind of hot-headed, pretty pushy. Danny is a police detective. Another son, Jamie, is a police on the regular beat. Then the daughter, Erin, is the district attorney's office. Now, as KK and I record these, we actually are pretty caught up now. I think we're only two or three episodes behind. But we record these, and we'll watch them sometime during the week. And as we watch this, here's what happens. Something will take place as it opens in Frank Reagan's office in the police tower. And after the problem is made, the scene will change, and Detective Danny will go to a site where there's just been a crime committed and he'll get the facts and then about that time it'll flash over to Danny who I mean uh, to Jamie pulling up in his police car or it will go over to the district attorney's office and Aaron will catch a scene and before the first commercial three problems have already been introduced okay and when the first commercial comes even though we've got it recorded I won't I won't fast forward it I'll look over to KK and say all right so what do we have and, and we'll list, here are the three problems of the three different things that are taking place. Then we'll go back. And usually, I'm always, I spoil things when I have the remote in my hand. I'll say, nope, it's too early. They haven't solved the problem yet, you know. Then I'll say, okay, 10 minutes, man. This is going to be a pretty quick resolve to all three issues that were problems. They're all about to be fixed. Now, with that type storytelling in mind, Here's what Luke's about to do. 
he's going to start with John the Baptist because he came first. And then he's going to move to Jesus. He's going to come back to the birth of John the Baptist. Then he's going to go back to the birth of Jesus. Can you get your mind around that? Don't get confused as you're reading the plots in the storyline. So today we start off with what's happening as he tells about the birth or the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist. So we're right there at the beginning. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah, a division of Abijah. His wife was also from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They both were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So you got the scene? We've got Zechariah, and we've got Elizabeth. They're both from priestly lines. He, as a priest, is actually serving in the priesthood. She comes from a line of priestly fathers and grandfathers. And so we have two people whose pedigree and whose uh, genealogy was both known. They didn't have to send off a blood sample or anything for DNA. All right? They knew where they came from. They had the whole family tree figured out. All right? Now, verse 8 says, while they were serving as priests before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now, let's just stop right there to make sure you got the scene. There were quite a few priests And they had a scheduled rotation. I don't know how they knew because they couldn't check their calendars or there was no Google shared drive. I mean, I don't know how they figured this out, but they all knew exactly when their time came. And it was not that often. And for one person to be the one that would go in and to make the sacrifice that was very unusual. Only once or twice, maybe in a lifetime. And so you have the scene of Zacharias's group doing their service at the temple and him being chosen to go in. Now, for years I have preached and I've actually said something that was incorrect and I hate to have to admit it, but I've just been preaching along and I said, there is no such thing as retirement in the Bible. Well, there is one case where I found the word retirement in the Bible. I don't have the reference to give it to you today, but it was speaking of the priest and how they were not supposed to actually be the ones that did the work after the age 50. They couldn't do it before 25, and then they couldn't do it after 50. Now, they could stay on and mentor the other ones, but they weren't supposed to be the ones that carried it out. So I repent publicly before you. I didn't mean to give bad counsel from Scripture. I'd never seen that verse before. So I'm guessing... That Zechariah was an old dude, but not yet 50. But in that day, the 40s were a lot older than they are today, okay? They were both advanced in years. And then something happened as he went in to do his job. I'm on page 8 in case you're not following along. The angel 
An angel of the Lord was standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. <laughs> you think? <laughs> All right. I mean, he goes in and he sees an angel. That's kind of the understatement in chapter 1. Okay. He saw an angel there. And fear fell upon him. He had a reverential awe for what he was experiencing inside the temple. Verse 13 says, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink strong drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Catch this phrase, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So make sure you have the scene. God had promised through the prophets of old that he would send a preparer, a forerunner before the coming of Messiah. That he would send this forerunner who would prepare the hearts of the people to receive the message of the Messiah. And he had promised that he will come in the spirit of Elijah. And he will come in boldness. He will be seen as some different kind of guy, which John the Baptist was. And he will come and he will prepare the people as he makes ready for the Lord. Now, that's the scene that's taking place. What do we see about the character of God here, remember? That's what we're looking for. The character of God is amazingly fulfilling prophecy at the right time. Keep in mind, 400 years of silence and now God speaks through an angel in the temple. Interestingly, as we weave these stories together, the coming of the angel to speak to Elizabeth about the birth of her child is about to take place a few months later for the birth, the message that's coming to Mary about the birth of the Lord Christ. And so the timing of all this. But did you catch what I said about the timing of Zechariah being a priest? I mean, this was a very unusual moment that was taking place in his life. But God, did he cause it? Well, I'll let you wrestle with that. And you'll be wrestling with it to the day you die. All right? What did God cause circumstantially? And what was God doing orchestrating as he was working in the lives of people? I can't explain it, but I can sure be moved to worship at it. To see how God has prepared somebody at just the right time to be in just the right place. And by the way, if you're doubting that in your life today, the timing of the Lord, I want to apply that last thing to your heart. God has something at just the right time for you. He hasn't left you, though he may have been silent. He hasn't left you, though you haven't heard his voice lately. He loves you. He wants the best for you. He has a purpose in mind, and he is fulfilling his purpose in his time. 
He makes all things beautiful in his time. At just the right time, the angel came, and Zechariah there in the temple, he speaks to him about the coming of the forerunner. But how did Zechariah respond? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's the next verse, all right? Verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced as years. Seems like a little bit reasonable. But we are talking to an angel, (laughs) okay? We are talking to an angel that came and said, this is what the Lord's doing. He says, I am an old man. I love the contrast of verse 19. In in mine, I've kind of circled it and drawn a line between it. That's the advantage to you having this journal is you can write all in it, even if you want to write in your Bible that way. You can learn maybe what you want to write in your Bible because there are times you'll want to show connections between things. There's a connection between I am an old man and what the angel's about to say. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. There's no but in there, but there's one definitely implied. I'm an old man. Well, I'm Gabriel. And you think you're advanced in years? I'm not going to tell you how long I've been around, but I stand in the presence of God. That's a pretty powerful thing. The character of God in all of his ability to fulfill his promise, even as he's doing it here, is talking to Zechariah about how God is about to fulfill his purpose in his life. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring this good news to you. And since you've been so quick to agree with it, let me tell you what's going to happen to you. You know what happened next? He said, Behold, you will be silent unable to speak into the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. Now, there were people waiting outside. Verse 21 says, the people were waiting for Zechariah. They were wondering at his delay in the temple. It took him too long to do his job. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. I don't know if he pointed up or if he, you know, flapped his wings like it. I don't know what he did. He made some kind of sign to them, and they knew something happened when he he was in there. And we don't know, but he's seen something from God, and we've been waiting 400 years to hear something from God, but he couldn't tell them what happened. When he came out, he realized they had seen a vision. He kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Now, we can only try to figure out what he said to Elizabeth through his making signs. How did he explain to her what he'd seen? A little later in chapter 1, at the naming of the baby, he asked for a tablet that he could write on. I don't know if they played Pictionary. You know, I I don't know. I'm not trying to be irreverent here. I don't know how he explained it to her. But somehow he communicated to her, and it says in verse 
It reminds me of my friend Jimmy Scoggins down in South, South Florida. He said he called together this uh, group of pre, uh, it was a marriage class, and people had to sign up for it. He said when he got in there, there were all these couples, and most of them were not married. And he, he said, I'm, I'm really getting stretched here. Most of them were not believers. And he said he was starting trying to explain to them how he was going to approach this course. And he said he looked over here at this one lady and uh, her proceed to be husband spoke Spanish and she only spoke English and there was somebody in the class that was interpreting to the two of them what was being on being said he said I wonder how they talk at home but she's already pregnant so apparently they're communicating somehow all right that's what's going on here I don't know what he told Elizabeth but when she discovered that she was pregnant apparently they had communicated somehow all right Verse 24 says, she conceived for five months. She kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. I want to tiptoe into this. I didn't plan nothing in my notes. I hope I don't mess up. In our day, when a couple cannot conceive, there's no shame though they may feel it. And I have seen in the body of Christ so many wonderful things through adoption. I've also seen people that took the freedom that they had, not having to raise their children, the time that they had to find other ministries that they could give in the body of Christ. One of the sweetest couples that ever ministered with me and to me were James and Mabel Richardson in Virginia, he was an usher that knew the name of everybody that walked in the door. He wrote it down. He prayed for them. If I ever had any questions, I didn't go to the computer and ask. I went to James and asked. And he knew what was going on in so many people's lives. But in this day, when a woman could not have a child, there's so many places in culture where she didn't fit. And whether the shame was given by others or just felt by her, there was an incredible sense of disappointment in her life. But we never once see attitude and actions we need to take. We never once see Elizabeth being bitter. We see her being an incredible woman of faith. Now, Go to page 14. On page 14, we just skipped over the angel coming to Mary. We'll do that next week. And we'll look at what she said and how Mary responded. But let's stick with the story of John the Baptist. Verse 57 says, The time came for Elizabeth to give birth. She bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her they rejoice with her. Remember what the angel said? Going to be a source of real joy. A lot of people are going to be excited. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. Perhaps you have read the law to discover how God established the presenting of a child in the temple, the offering that was to be made, and how circumcision would take place on the eighth day. And at that time, of a boy child, he would be named. 
So until now, they've not named him. Following the custom of their day, on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. The people said back to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. We don't, we don't understand. I mean, you've waited so long to have a child, and now you want your name to go forward. Why would you not name him Zechariah after his father? And she said, Look, we're going to name him John. I go back to my premise a moment ago. Somehow they'd communicated, all right? Because the scripture says that Zechariah asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, but immediately, Luke's good with that word. He, he, he makes time come to life. Immediately, his mouth was open when he wrote his name as John. And his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors, all the things that were talked about in the hill country in Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in her heart, say, heart saying, what kind of child is this going to be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. What do we see about people's responding to God. Over nine months had gone on. Zechariah had been apparently, not only couldn't he not speak, but it, it appears that he couldn't hear. And during all of that time of silence, he had a lot of time to say, did I really see an angel in there? But she really is going to have a baby. And this really wasn't expected at our age. I'm not saying it was miraculous like Abraham and Sarah. But I am saying it was totally unexpected far later in life than people expected. The obedience of Elizabeth and Zechariah speak to me and you today. They held on and did what God said for them to do. How did they respond to God? They responded with obedience when people did not understand. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had to obey the Lord when people don't understand? Have you ever had to make a choice at work? Have you ever had to make a choice with your family? Have you ever been involved with friends and you just said, I just can't do it that way? I've got to do it this way? We can't read their obedience without something happening in our hearts. We begin to realize that we too need to be people of obedience. We need to respond the same way he did. We need to see what God would do in our lives and say yes even when others don't get it. So what else happened? The bottom of page 14 and just about all of page 16, you see it's called Zechariah's Prophecy. The father was filled with the Spirit. By the way, Luke uses that phrase a lot. 
And it reminds us that we cannot do God's work in our strength. We cannot do God's work our way. Filled with the Spirit, he prophesied. And we could take today a lot of time to go through and unpack, though we want. I do want to encourage you, though, if you're underlining the top of page 16, he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Hmm. Remember the promise made to David? Verse 72, to show mercy promised to our fathers. Remember when we talked about the patriarchs? In verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham Do you remember in the story of God? Come on, it hadn't been that long ago that we talked about how God made a promise to Abraham. He made a promise to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He made a promise to David. And now what do we see about the character of God? He keeps his promises. Here as he talks about the coming of Christ, he says in verse 76, You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Doing what? You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. What will the ways of the Messiah look like? To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins? That tells us something about the character of God and the work of Christ. Because of the tender mercy of our God, that tells us something about the character of our God who is merciful to us, who gives us what we don't deserve and doesn't give us what we do deserve. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. The prophet at old had talked about those who sit in darkness will see a great light. And the coming of Jesus is that very same light. So let me ask you about your life today. Do you see why you need Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? We've all sinned. Do you, we see why we need God's mercy. We can't do enough good to earn our salvation. The scripture says there's none righteous, no, not one. But the Bible says that God laid on him the sin of us all. When Christ was dying on the cross, he wasn't dying for his sin. He was dying for my sin. And the Bible says through Christ, we are offered forgiveness of sin. We're offered mercy and we're offered light. It's incredible what happens when You turn on the light and you see where you should walk and what you should do and how you should treat people. And it's interesting to me to guide our feet in the way of peace, Old Testament shalom. Oh, that God would grant his peace to his people. Then it ends by saying that child grew. He became strong in spirit. He was in the wilderness in the day of his personal public appearance to Israel. And we'll read about him later. But in a couple of weeks, we'll turn the page to chapter 2. And we will see the birth of Jesus. So, what about these three things that we are applying to our life today? The timing of the Lord. Are you okay with that? (laughs) Do you need him to work in your life 
in his time? How's it going when you can't talk? When you, when you can't change it? How's that going for you? How's that going when people don't understand that after all this time, you're finally going to have a child? After all this time, you're finally going to do something different? How's that going for you? The character of God and the response of the people. Are you saying to God, but God, I don't get it. I am. And are you hearing back to him say, but listen, I'm God. You're not. I can do this. You can't. So today, I pray that we would be people quick to obey, slow to rationalize and make it our way, and that we would be people who recognize, look, just like John the Baptist, we're supposed to point to Jesus, because without Jesus, there's no hope in our lives.